Hi everyone, Tiffany here with a super quick note that this podcast was recorded as part of a previous bundle season. That means that the dates that you're about to hear for the bundle, well, they're no longer correct. If you're interested in seeing what the dates are for this year's sale, please visit thebellydancebundle.com. There you'll find all the up-to-date information on our upcoming bundle. While the dates may be wrong and the class mentioned here isn't available through us any longer, many of our guests still have their courses available for purchase individually, so please do feel free to click through to their offerings and take a look. You're going to want to check it out after hearing how brilliant they are. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. It's Tiffany here from Yala Rocks, and I have a question for you. Are you kind of a belly dance nerd? I'm here for it if you are, and today's episode is going to be amazing for you. Today, I have Sahar Kent, also known as Sahar Saida, with us on the podcast to talk about something super important to your dance practice. Research. Cue collective groans from those of you who aren't into the academic side, but trust me, Even if you're not into the idea of doing your own research, this episode and the lecture that Sahara will be giving in this year's Belly Dance Bundle will be beneficial to you because we all take in so much information about our dance and all of its research, whether you've formalized the term or not. And of course, this is also your daily reminder that the Belly Dance Bundle is only on sale until October 28th, 2020. I always get people emailing me who have missed the deadline. Don't be that person. Because those people aren't very happy when they find out that I can't extend it. So, let's jump in with Sahara and find out some ways that you can start to sort all of the information that you've been taking in about your dance throughout your journey. Hello, dancers, and welcome to Yala Rocks, the belly dance podcast that helps you design your personal practice. Today, we're here with Sahra. Sahra, welcome back to the podcast and another year with the Belly Dance Bundle. Thank you for asking me. I'm so happy to do this. So happy. So for those of you who maybe don't know this, um, I am also Sahra's assistant over at Journey Through Egypt. I run all of the online stuff for the business. So thank God. Caveat to the conversation, right? We talk all the time. We're super good friends. Um, and I absolutely love what Sahara does in the dance world. It's, it's so important. So I'm really excited to announce your lecture for the bundle this year. You're part of our lecture bundle and you are doing learning through the tables, a framework on which to build your research. Yes. Yes. This is such an exciting topic for me. So can you tell people who maybe don't know about Journey Through Egypt a little bit about your background um, in dance ethnology so that we can, we can you know, see where you're coming from yes. into, into yeah. all of this? Yes. What's important for dancers at first, I think, is to know that I've been a dancer my whole life. Yes. So my point of view is the dancer and also, um, since my father was a musician and I was in a lot of perf- performance spaces, that was kind of like a nice family. So dancing is also social. 
even performance dancing for me is social. Well, just remember that when we go through all this other stuff. Okay. <laughs> so um, first it was ballet. And then I went on toe and that lasted for one lesson and I gave up toe. Decided it just was not natural and my feet weren't ready for it. And then I went to jazz and I took from uh, one of the guys that were in my father's performance group. And that was great because it was like stage dancing and I, I loved it. I just loved it. And that was through all my high school. And then I went to um, my first two years of college and I was a dance major and it's Martha Graham style modern dance. And I was the lead dancer for my years in school. So that was great. And then I decided that to continue, I was going to try out for Martha Graham. That didn't work, thank God. And I think you've probably all heard about all this stuff before anyway. So since I didn't get in and since I was being offered jobs that were not in my line of what I knew was my path, I gave up dance altogether and um, started taking science classes because science is my second, you know, obsession. So I was doing different science things. Geology attracted me a lot. I loved that. Archaeology. I did a lot of archaeology um, pits and got dirty sitting in the pits and all that. But what I really hooked on to was cultural anthropology. I loved it. But after I graduated with it, it was a combined cultural anthropology and archaeology major for my bachelor's. The only thing I could do with it was very low paying grunt work on the archaeology sites. And it takes years and years and years to get anywhere up. So you have anything to do with designing the site. So then I decided I just wanted to dance. I needed to dance. Even if nobody ever saw me, forget the performance. I just need dance for myself. And that's when I discovered the belly dance class with the Om Kalsum music. And I was hooked. And But I didn't consider it a performance thing. So anyway, from the beginning, I'm thinking, okay, this dance is does not come from my culture. Mm -hmm. So where is it from? Because I had just graduated with cultural anthropology. So that was my obsession there is to find out about Middle Eastern dance, Om Kalsum. You know, that's when we had LPs, the records, and you could read the backs of the records. And a lot of the records um, were from actual um, immigrants that were in, you know, probably New York or something or Boston or something, and they make a record and they have all these liner notes, which were fascinating and kept telling me more and more. So this was what I was fascinated with. Then at some point I actually started performing and my whole life I had been, I had a big magnet on Egypt and Belly dance was fantastic. I loved it. But I, to me, the folklore, the actual dance of the people from an anthropological viewpoint I, was my secret obsession. So luckily, while I was a belly dancer, Lou Shalaby at Cascades, that also is famous for the Fez, uh, which was before my time. But um, he hired two Egyptians and they started a folklore company. And it turns out that they were from Komea. So I started learning through that. 
and I started understanding more about um, the different regions of Egypt and the different dance that goes to that region and the different costuming that goes with that dance in that region. And of course, the music is always different. And it was fascinating to learn all these things. I studied them very hard. I was in that dance company and really enjoyed myself. Then I saw one time a video of a fantastic dancer with an amazing dance group around her. Turned out to be Farida Fahmi. You all know that story. And I was thinking of going to Egypt and then I was told she doesn't teach. And so I decided to stay back in the States and then decided to use the money that I had saved to go to Egypt to use for my master's. Actually, I was thinking of a doctorate. Then one night I, I met Barbara Rossi and her husband, Dr. Jihad Rossi, and she told me about UCLA. So then I went into UCLA and there I found Farida. And then Farida started teaching me the dances, the folklore dancers of Egypt with the same names, with similar costumes. I could see the, you know, their stage. I understand, you know, stage things change things, but I could see the similarity between the costumes of, you know, the two different groups and the music sometimes is almost exactly the same, but the, the steps were different. And that's when I found out from Farida that no, no, because I asked her which is right. And she says, no, no, neither one of them are right. Both of them are for the stage. And I was shocked and demoralized for a while <laughs> and went to one of my dance ethnology teachers and told her about this existential question. I was, you know, conundrum I was in. And she told me that, um, no, this is very informational because every culture has a right to represent itself on its own stage. And so this is a stage version of what the people really do. Now, if it's really that important to you to know what the real people do, and you can't find that out, then maybe that's your work is to go and discover this. So it turns out that is my work to go and discover this. But then I was very aware that there were three different categories. There was what people really do. There was the red aversion and there was the Komea version. And when I went to Egypt, then I became, and then I also knew, of course, there's the way belly dancers do it too, which is different. Because at that time we had two kinds of dance. There was belly dance and there was folklore. Like, all of the folklore of all the Middle Eastern countries were in one group, you know, Dubkey's folklore. And it's kind of hilarious when you think about it. But anyway, eventually I went to Egypt to do my thesis research and I got work there. So I was there. And then I started realizing the way a local professional dancer dances is different than a Cairo belly dancer dances. Mm -hmm. And so that was amazing and then I had like one two three four five different categories and then as I started doing more and more research and more of traveling I learned about the Sakafa as well which were people of the area so they had this movement and this meaning inside of them but yet the it was owned by the government so that's Cairo. So there's a natural 
um, cultural assimilation there, which I find fascinating. And um, just by just by really getting into that, it tells me so much more about each separate thing. I kept finding, you know, talking to people and asking questions, and I got it down to six different categories, which I've labeled tables. But anyway, so what I wanted to tell you, since you assigned me this subject, which I really <laughs> glad, <laughs> I love the subject, because I'm thinking, how am I going to tell people how to do research? Because two years at UCLA, that was entirely what we were being taught. We weren't. Yeah, this is, this is a primer. Right? Yeah. Yeah. This, and is I'm the, thinking, this is the like beginning of getting into the research. And I love like what you're talking about with the tables and these categories, because so many of us, I think we see it on Facebook all the time. There's all these arguments of like, well, this isn't yes. this, this is that, or like this, you know, it's like, we're all arguing about something when in reality, all of it is the thing. It's just different versions of the thing. Right. So like, yeah. looking at things through this tape, these tables that you've developed over all of these years of, of cultural anthropology and dance anthropology, right. like studying, like you can really start to look at something and put it within the context of all of these different ways that that particular dance happens like in mm -hmm. the culture and then as it is further and further removed from the culture because you could go on and add tables on the tail end of this as well yeah. like you know cairo isn't necessarily like the last place that something happens because then yeah, people I, are taking I had to, I, like the when I would add things at UCLA they go okay focus keep it small keep it small <laughs> You know, and then I'm thinking, then somebody says, well, then what about this dance? And I'm going, okay, well, that's like a whole ocean away. And it yeah. also depends on who was your teacher and then who were you dancing with? So it's kind of like many tables away sometimes with the door shut, you know, so I'm just limiting to what it is in Egypt. Yeah. To show kind of how, yeah. it, how in a research context, right? Because what yeah. you do is research of like the actual cultural dances, not necessarily how it is portrayed outside of Egypt, right. but what it, what it is within I, the country. Yeah. When I would travel around, because I, <laughs> before the pandemic and everything else, right. I used to actually tour and teach. But um, nice. there is like, I would be in Germany or Austria or Switzerland or England. And there is definitely like, a German way to do this regional dance. And it all has to do with which people came from Egypt and taught the folklore. Because I can see one dance and I'm going, okay, whoever taught that to them was Komea. Mm -hmm. You know, and then I see them do a lot of Moshehat. Like Moshehat is this huge thing, but they only know the one dance, Garibaldar, at least when I was there. And it absolutely was the Reda troupe, Garibaldar. They even had the costuming the same. So, you know, how do I say this? It's like when you, when you travel around, you can see how these different tables have influenced different places. Like, oh, this is a big one, a Wallam or Gawazi dance. Mm-hmm. And then you go, oh, great. What's this going to be? You know, and you're watching them. I'm going, okay, this particular dancer with the Reddit troupe taught them this dance. 
or this particular dancer with Komeya taught them this dance, or this they've been watching a lot of Fifi Abdu, or they've been, you know, so it's, it's really fascinating to see these different styles in Egypt and then watch their diffusion in the world. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's just fascinating. That doesn't make me upset or anything. It's just fascinating to, to follow back these tentacles of learning. But um, yeah, for my research, I'm just keeping to Egypt. I wanted to go outside and my teachers were all saying, no, focus, focus. And then I discovered that, yeah, I agree with them. There's, there's more than enough in Egypt to oh my occupied for several lifetimes. Oh yeah. That's one of, one of the fascinating things is it won't ever finish. You know, there is no way for me to ever learn everything to learn. And to me, that's just, I don't know. It makes me feel good. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't want to, to hit the end of this. So that's yeah. amazing. And I love that you are so generous with your knowledge too. Um, and through all of this hard work you've done building these tables, right. And seeing not only how they represent the dance within Egypt, like mm -hmm. or almost, you know, categorizing how Egyptians do it themselves, almost how they see their yes. own categories, right? Like I, I've heard you talk about that a lot. Which is the goal. Um, yeah, exactly. Can you, can you actually speak a little bit more to that and like how these tables kind of do that? They represent the culture in the way that the culture represents itself. Yeah. In, in cultural anthropology, when you go in, that is what you're trying to find out is how they perceive different categories. Like in anthropology, kinship is a huge thing. You know, like, okay, mother, father, you know, who's important to your mother's brother or your father, or, you know, they have all these different kinship things. So I learned a lot from that is trying to go into the culture and trying to figure out their floor plan of things. And so that's what I wanted to do with these tables. And I call them tables because I imagine like um, a card table with a, a puzzle on it and it's all in these little pieces. And then I'll find like two pieces that actually go together and, you know, and then maybe like I'll get a whole, you know, like maybe 10 pieces that I can see go together or something. And that's so exciting. But so there's like a whole table of a puzzle that's just in one region or just in one city sometimes mm -hmm. or village, you know, of how the normal people dance. And then another card table with puzzle pieces on how does their local professional dance? And if we wanted to get even deeper, that local professional, we could go really into that. There's a whole thing called the dancer's image and, um, oh, let's see, movement extenders and historical, you know, just that one category would just, you know, it's like with Kyria Mazen, I'm always, every, every, you know, next puzzle piece I can find on her, I get so excited because now and then I'll get more information. And then there's the Sakafa and the Reda and the Komeya and the way that Cairo Media handles everything. But it's fascinating to try to figure it out because it's, it's not easy, right? So if you wanted to go into Egyptian style, 
you can follow my floor plan and learn something and then you might decide hey I think these two actually go together which a lot of people think Red and Comea would go together as national troops or I would put an extra one so that's I mean we're scientists we're always doing things like that or you could go into a country yourself or a style of dance and try to figure it out yourself for something that interests you at this particular moment exactly exactly one of the things i wanted to make sure to tell everybody is to be very aware of their own culture's filters and assumptions because like one of my assumptions is that just a regular girl can or whatever any age any gender can learn the dance and then oh i think i want to dance and then you dance professionally and to me that's sometimes it's a smooth transition sometimes it's not sometimes people say no no my mother was really upset with me or something like that but in egypt these are really two different categories mm -hmm. and in my life with my father being a musician, I could take dancing just for fun, or he could say, hey, we need a kid for Sound of Music, and I can just like jump on the stage and do my part, you know? So my normal person and local professional was a smooth, to me, they were all the same. Mm -hmm. You know, I hadn't decided, okay, I'm gonna go to Hollywood and I'm gonna make my life this or anything. So to me, they were in the same category, but other cultures, they're not. So, and in Egypt, for sure, they're not. So that's one example of being careful of your own assumptions. So anyway, that's the main thing. And just, and um, talk to a lot of people and you don't have to learn the language of the place before you go. I don't know how many people told me that they'll go to Egypt someday, but first they have to learn Arabic and they're taking it online. You don't have to do that. Because for one thing, you probably won't get to an extent that you can really have a deep conversation with anybody. And to learn the subtleties of the different categories or, you know, that I kind mean, of thing. That's what you learn when you go, right? Yeah. You learn the basics and then you show up and then being immersed in a culture is usually what teaches you language the fastest. That's where you get the idioms. That's where you start yeah. to get, you know, that, that ability to have those kinds of conversations is by having those kinds of conversations. True. And one of the best things you can do is get a really good translator. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had so many different translators and immediately, you know, whether they get you or not. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of times I use one translator just to be able to hold the interview and videotape it. Thank God for videotape. I didn't have that when I started. So I have all these like written notes going, what was that? <laughs> you know, and then I got like, um, uh, what do you call it? A little tape recorder or something. And then all you can hear is all the honking on Muhammad Ali street. and You can't hear what they're saying. <gasps> oh, it was terrible. But now there's a videotape, thank God. But anyway, whatever translator I can get that can translate my question to the person, you know, and then the whole thing is videotaped. And then I might have to take it to another translator to get all the, the intricacies out because they can tell me exactly what they said, which 
I didn't even know how many years I've been going to Egypt and there's so many subtleties that I would not have gotten. Mm -hmm. Not at all. And then they can also, a good translator can also tell you how that fits into the culture and what they're assuming that you already know. Mm -hmm. That's another thing. If you already know Arabic, they assume you know everything. So they don't go in so much detail. So a lot of times when I'm doing interviews, I pretend I don't know anything. And so that they'll, you know. They have to start really, at the beginning. Yeah. Because a lot of times if they assume that you know things, like when I was working there, you know, my musicians go, yes, Sahar, you know more than that. You understand this. And I'm like, no, really, I don't know. You know, what just happened? You know, and usually it was an interpersonal player. I, I'm not sure what just went on. And so I'll ask somebody, what happened? Yes, Sahar, you know, you know, don't play <laughs> stupid. I'm just like, no, I really am stupid. I even, that was one of the first things I learned in Arabic. No, really. I don't understand anything, <laughs> which I have to say in Arabic to convince them anyway. So um, it, it was, research is, is um, it's a trip. It's really a it's, trip. And I think that that's like, as people start to get into their own research, they want to start doing more of it. It, it feels so overwhelming, right? It's yeah. Like we want to know more about this thing. Maybe it's hard to find, like maybe someone doesn't specialize in it yet. So no one's done the, the putting right. together of the puzzle pieces. So we want to take it on, but then we don't know where to start. And like, you know, you're talking about the, you imagine them as tables because you imagine these, these puzzle pieces and all yeah. these puzzles yeah. going on to me, like the internet is just like someone dumped 6 million puzzles into a yes. bucket and you're yes. just sorting through the pieces, trying to figure out where the hell anything goes. Yes, for sure. For right. Sure. And so this, with this lecture, I really am excited to, to jump into that framework a little bit more and how, how you've used it, yes, for your research, but also like how people can take it and apply it to the bucket of yeah. puzzle pieces that they're handed at any given moment. Well, one good thing is we're dancers and we have all this rich material available to us now, you know? And we also have a lot of people who have written histories and um, stories and things like that. So what I would say is find one thing that interests you, say the Haggalah, and just try to um, get you know all the articles and any video and um, I mean, Thank God for like Facebook groups now. And you bring it up in the group and people start, you know, giving you absolutely don't worry that nobody will agree with each other. Because don't let that bother Absolutely do not start into who's right. Because that's the whole idea of the six tables. Because not only there's six tables, there's hundreds of years and all these different people's viewpoints. So if you read Egypt dances, you're gonna get one viewpoint. If you listen to Mahmoud Reda's, um, I know I was there at least three or four different workshops where he talked about it. He's gonna get you give you a different viewpoint. If you read uh, Lila Abdelagoud's uh, Veiled Sentiments or uh, Women's Stories, you're gonna get a different viewpoint of it. 
So they, so the main thing is to just gather all this stuff and be aware that, okay, this is just a normal person. Okay, this person is a ballet dancer who has um, the Comea research department with her. Okay, this is Mahmoud Reda, who is arguably the most, you know, famous man in Egypt, and people are going to want to impress him too, you know. So you have to realize on each viewpoint, they're not going to have the whole picture, you know, and then you just like learn little bits and little bits. And also histories. This is really cool. Like um, Nisa has been going into the early belly dancer, Raksharki, right between where it was a Walam dance going into Raksharki. Mm -hmm. And this was a, a, a moment that had a lot of opinions in it and a lot of different, oh, so many different things. I mean, if, if I think about all the different things that people told me, and then when Nisa actually started getting information written in Arabic, and I'm just like, well, that threw that point out the window. <laughs> you know, it's just like, after, and I was in Egypt with her. We were gathering stuff, and she was telling me about the different things that she already had. And I, I had to totally rethink my whole journey through Egypt one based on every time I every time I gave it, I had to like every sentence think, okay, did I learn this? you know, like 30 years ago, or did, you know, I had to reevaluate every puzzle piece of information I was giving out. But that's just part of it. Don't, don't hang on to something because you've said, no, but this is true. And I just know it's true. It's it maybe not, you know, but and that's you, research. And where it's coming from is so important. Yeah. And in what context you're even getting it in too, right? Like, is it a book? Is it a video? Who filmed the video? Why is the video on the internet? You know, is it, is it there to promote something? Is it there to show something? Is it just somebody at a party? Like, Hey, look, we had fun at a party, you know, like there's so many little things that influence what perspective the, the content is coming from. Mm -hmm. And then you have to, like you said earlier, right. Be really aware of your own biases and your own projections onto the material too. And so, it gets complicated. It's so complicated. Oh, this is why when I discovered the, the phrase, it's complicated, when I was trying to teach this and people would ask me a question and it's like, eh, <laughs> <laughs> I possibly even, you know, because just the question itself, you know, there's so many different opinions in Egypt on how people think. And then we're talking about like a couple different categories and how would people relate them? And would this woman who's asking the question, would her cultural understanding of things, would that even make sense? And then I also, I love Egypt and I don't want to, I mean, I got to admit this because it's my own filter. I don't want anybody to dislike them. Mm -hmm. So if I know they are doing something with the most innocent heart. But if I describe it in one way to an American, they're going to go, oh, how disgusting. And then if I just describe it in another way, it just won't make any sense. It's just, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to teach. It's really complicated. And it's the other way too. 
because if somebody that's my friend in Egypt, you know, and I bring in like a whole bunch of new girls, you know, once or twice a year, and then they'll go, what did she mean by that? I don't want them to dislike her. Mm -hmm. I don't want to tell them, oh, she lives with her boyfriend. Well, what you're doing is, you know, or something like that, you know, it's just like, you're doing what you were saying, right? Like you, if you get a good translator, the translator can yes. read the cultural situation as well as the words spoken. And that's yes. what you do with what you teach and how you teach it is that you, you're putting those filters on it in order to teach it effectively across cultural lines. I feel mm -hmm. like. Mm -hmm which is, which is a really great skill, I think, as a teacher to have. And I love both groups, mm -hmm. you know, like one time I, we were, we were in uh, Luxor at Gamal Latif's place. And some woman said something that I swear I didn't understand what she said. And if you took the exact words, it could have been very harmful. Mm hmm. I knew her and I knew that couldn't possibly and she spoke another language so English was her second language so afterwards Gamal came to me and he says what what did she mean and going honestly I don't know and he goes well I come to her with an open heart you know and I'm going perfect <laughs> so that worked itself out yeah yeah so it, it gets complicated but it's the complicated part is the fulfilling part you're so right too you're right? So right yeah it's that and it, and it also leads you to the next part yes because if it wasn't complicated then we wouldn't still be researching it right yeah, like we would course. be done we'd have figured it out we're good to go <laughs> like what else is there to do but there's all like we said there's always more to do there's always more to learn yeah. about this dance and it's because it is so complicated and it is yeah. so beautiful in that complication and so i'm like so excited to to bring you into the bundle in this way and to, to chat about uh, people doing their own research and, and jumping yeah. into this, this complicated bucket of puzzle pieces and, and to start sorting and things. We need out. more research, not only be fulfilling for the person themselves, but I know the whole time at UCLA, they were, they taught us something about cultural anthropology, which was not very much because I'd already been a cultural anthropology major. But um, mostly they were teaching us how to do ethnologies. So like one story, you know, one study. So then I asked them because I'd already been anthro, when do we start doing the cross-cultural comparisons? And they said, we don't have that much information yet. We don't have enough um, body of knowledge to even do comparisons. So the whole thing they were teaching us is how to add to the body of knowledge. And I know Farida and I many times would say, what are we supposed to be learning here? And we'd both go add to the body of knowledge. So really that's what I've been doing ever since 1984. It's been adding to the body of knowledge. But luckily I think our whole belly dance world or most of it is interested in adding to the body of knowledge. So mm -hmm. we really need it. So anybody who's interested in doing research that would be so cool. I would be so happy. Well, if you are interested in doing research, this is the lecture for you. And you can follow Sahra on the internet and learn more from her at journeythroughegypt.com. Or you can check out the archive. Um, Sahra and I work together and we put up her um, un 
unedited for the most part um interviews yeah from her time in egypt and and research footage with subtitles yes. but I want to have it as raw as possible because somebody will come back in and they want to look at something different I don't want to take away any information yeah so we we post a couple videos a month there and we have lectures every couple of months we do watch parties um, and we really get nerdy about lectures you can read more about that at archive.journeythroughegypt.com uh, which is a fun it's a fun place to hang out i love i love hosting the events there and and getting to party with the other research nerds that are super into it <laughs> it's yes. the best sahra thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank and you. sharing thank you sharing some of this about the tables and, and getting people excited about their own research and you know even giving them even if they don't come into the bundle like give them a little bit of a a headway on how to how to start sorting stuff just yeah yeah just jump in. That's the first thing. Thank you so much for your time. And I have to ask you our final parting question for the podcast this year. Okay. Where is the strangest place that you have ever danced? I actually don't know the answer to this, despite having worked with you for many years. Practice counts. Practice. Oh, I don't even know. I've, I've danced and practiced so many times out in the the woods and in deserts and in water. Maybe, maybe Delilah, because she had a whole thing in Hawaii once. And so as the sun rose and I was wearing my Renaissance dress, I danced in the ocean. That's nice. That sounds like a very peaceful moment. It was beautiful. And I don't know if anybody used to know um, uh, Solomon and Armando, Armando and Suleiman. Armando was there, so he was playing live. So and there, like were, and there were turtles. There were turtles that were being pulled by the, the drum. And so I had turtles swimming around me too. Man, this sounds like a magical experience. Great. This is awesome. Yeah, it was. It was a magical place. <laughs> Sahar, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on the podcast. And everybody, I will talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. If you haven't followed Sahra, you absolutely should. She is such an excellent source of knowledge on the dances of Egypt. And if you loved this episode, you're going to love the bundle. Be sure to check out thebellydancebundle.com to learn more about this year's lineup. In addition to our movement classes, we're having 20 different lectures over the next six to eight months, so there is plenty to nerd out about. Think of it as a study group for belly dancers. You can find the show notes for this episode at thebellydancebundle.com 55. I absolutely love puzzles, so I hope that you'll join me and all the other bundlers in sorting some puzzle pieces very soon. Thank you.